Hello, I'm Ray with another podcast episode. I'll tell you what, it's six o'clock in the morning, a nice quiet time of day. No interruptions, <laughs> no dust carts out there bashing around, no one in the street, no one, everyone's still in bed asleep. Rather a nice time of day. The only thing is it's minus four out there. I just checked, minus four. The pond, we've got a little pond, that's frozen solid. The bird baths are frozen. I've had to go out there and break the ice. Anyway, that's enough of that. This episode is all about incidents at school. Now, in the old days, in the 50s, 60s, all that sort of era, things were very, very different at school. I mean, these days, these days, it seems that the teachers and the, the pupils, they're all on Christian name terms. They all, I don't know what it is. There's no discipline, well, as far as I can see anyway. Whereas in my day, it was, uh, you know, the teacher, oh, Smith, stop doing it. Oi, Brown, stop doing that. And we had to call them sir and all this sort of thing. Well, I don't know. These days, it's very different. Now, incidents at school, this basically, my story, builds up to what the deputy headmaster called minor acts of sabotage. <laughs> Uh, looking back, it wasn't, uh, it, well, it was funny. I mean, looking back, I don't know. Minor acts of sabotage. I'll start the, the story at the beginning. Just give you a general idea. The school was pretty rough back then, uh, late 50s, early 60s. It was pretty rough. There was one kid, what was I, about 14, I think, at the time. We'd all gone into the classroom. The teacher hadn't turned up. Invariably, they were having a cigarette somewhere because <laughs> everyone smoked then. And this kid said to me, hit me. I looked at him and I, I just sort of ignored him. He said, come on, hit me. And I said, why, why would I want to hit you? You know, it was, he was pathetic, honestly. He was a big lad. Dare I say fat? He was a big fat lad. And he said, come on, hit me. I knew what he wanted. He wanted me to hit him so he could then hit me back. And I'd started the fight. So I didn't want to get involved. Anyway, he went on. A, a crowd of kids gathered round in the classroom. And they were saying, go on, hit him. And he said, yeah, come on, hit me. So funnily enough, I'd watched Rawhide. Do you remember Rawhide on the telly? The old black and white days? Absolute coincidence. There had been something in Rawhide about the element of surprise when you're attacking. I think they were talking about Indians or something like that, attacking the, the cowboys. So I thought, OK, element of surprise... I'd never hit anyone. I'd never been involved in a fight. And I haven't since. I don't like all that sort of thing. But there he was, this big fat kid. Oh, come on, hit me. So I turned away as if I was walking off. And I don't know how I did it to this day, but I swung round with my fist, which landed squarely in the middle of his face. And it was a real whack, a thud, a smack. And uh, the whole class went quiet. He staggered back across the, the room, hit the wall and slid down the wall and sat on the floor. His nose was bleeding and it, it looked awful. And I thought, what have I done? I, I was amazed. I thought, I did that? Good grief, I did that. And I looked at my fist, which hurt. Um, but then people started patting me on the back. Hey, well done, well done. Because he was known to be a bully. And, you know, after that day, he kept well away from me. He didn't ever speak to me, which was good. He didn't come anywhere near me, never threatened me or anything like that. And in fact, he stopped bullying a lot of the other kids because uh, I suppose he thought you just can never tell. You see someone, you think, oh, they're a bit weak. 
but that's not always the case. I, I always look back to that day thinking, how on earth did I do that? There were other incidents. I remember another chap saying, hit me. Um, I forget what happened with that one. I just think I just walked off. But uh, that's the sort of school it was back then. It was pretty rough. Kids smoked in the playground. I remember that. And the teachers didn't really do anything about it. They'd say, oh, it put that cigarette out. But the kids didn't take much notice. So it was a pretty rough school, to say the least. I've already mentioned the toilet being blown up, haven't I, in the midweek message last Wednesday. Uh, yeah, this friend of mine, he was into building bombs. He, he built... He'd get two large bolts, he'd go over the railway, you know, to look on the railway line, and you find a couple of big bolts with nuts. He'd fill them with red matchstick heads and make a bomb. You throw it up in the air, when it lands, it blows the bolts apart. He, uh, he, he was into bombs, I don't quite know why. And anyway, he built this sugar and weed killer type bomb and blew the toilet up. And as I said in the midweek message, he came flying out of there came over to me and then boom, the whole toilet block shook. Of course, the teacher said, I saw you run out of there. He said, no, 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 I saw this thing fizzing in the toilet and I ran out. You know, I only went in there to go to the toilet. So he got away with that. They never did find out who did it. There was a, a big inquiry and all this. I think the police were called on that occasion, but I mean, nothing ever came of it. Now, the incident or incidents leading up to this minor acts of sabotage, as the deputy headmaster put it. We had a loudspeaker in every classroom connected to the school radio. And do you remember the BBC Home Service? I think it was two o'clock. Yeah, it was. It was two o'clock. They may have had other times when they did uh, radio for schools, programmes for schools. And it was always incredibly boring. And I discovered, purely by chance, where the main radio was and the amplifier that supplied all the speakers around the school, all the kit. It was in this big cupboard just off the corridor. I just happened to see the cupboard door open one day and glance in there and, oh, look, what's all this electronic gear? Because I'm obviously into electronics, as I still am. And I went in there and saw the radio, and there was a monitor switch, so I put that on, and you could hear what the radio was playing. So on the day that we were having our two o'clock radio for schools programme, BBC Home Service, that lunchtime, this was two o'clock, that lunchtime, I went and changed the radio. I tuned it into Radio Caroline. I put the monitor switch on, retuned the radio. Caroline, turned the monitor switch off, shut the cupboard door. It wasn't locked. I mean, there was a keyhole, but it wasn't locked. Presumably someone had just left it open. I don't know. So at two o'clock, we're in the classroom. And there's the loudspeaker on the wall. And the teacher turned the volume up on the speaker expecting to hear this is a BBC Home Service for schools. And of course, it's Caroline, Caroline, Radio Caroline's blasting out. We're all cheering. And we could hear other classrooms, other classes cheering around the school. So obviously we weren't the only ones that were meant to be listening to the BBC Home Service. Because the teacher turned the volume down. He went out somewhere to see what was going on. Some kid turned the volume up. But we're all listening to Caroline playing the records and the jingles. Terrific. Of course, the headmaster, uh, well, no, it was the deputy headmaster. He was the, the main man. I don't know why, but he was the one that did the caning and the shouting and the yelling. The actual headmaster himself was quite a quiet chap. I think he just used to keep a low profile, you know, go into his office at the end of the day, go home. He kept out of it all. 
It was all down to the deputy head. So at assembly the following morning, the deputy head, he was shouting and ranting and raving. 600 of us in the school, 600 kids. because we're all sniggering. <laughs> Radio Caroline. And he was getting really irate. The next thing that happened was I went back in this cupboard and I discovered... Now, we had, had uh, clocks in all the classrooms in the corridor. There were clocks all connected to a main clock. And the way it worked, just briefly, the main clock in the cupboard would send out a pulse every minute. Clunk. So all the minute hands on the clocks would go forward by one minute. Well, I found this clock. Now, we finished at quarter to four in the afternoon. So I set it for half past three. <laughs> no one knew this. So I'm watching the clock, quarter past three, twenty past three. Half past three, the bell went. And of course, there was a mass exodus the teacher was saying, hang on, hang on, it's only half past three, it's not time, there must be a problem. Because everyone's ignoring him. We're all grabbing our books and people piling out of classrooms into the corridors and everyone went home, half past three. And the next morning in assembly, that was when the headmaster went ballistic, the, sorry, the deputy head, went absolutely mental, ballistic. And that is when his so-called... <laughs> acts of minor sabotage began because from that day on there were lots of little things that happened the coax from the aerial down to the tele we had a television room where you'd have to go and watch some again some school's program for tv where someone cut the coax so you go pile into the classroom to watch telly and of course the telly doesn't work someone found a fuse box somewhere and pulled out a couple of fuses and uh, did away with them. I don't know where the fuses went. So a lot of the lighting went out in the school corridor, and <laughs> that was another minor act of sabotage. One of the toilet blocks was flooded. Someone jammed the, you know, the ball cock valve. Someone jammed several of those in all the various toilets. So everything's overflowing everywhere. <laughs> the toilet was flooded. And coming up to bonfire night, this was good. Coming up to bonfire night, there were fireworks were available in the shops, you know, weeks before bonfire night back then. And we used to buy the penny bangers. Now, obviously, fireworks weren't allowed in school. That was a rule that will not be broken under any circumstances. You get the cane. <laughs> so what happened was every playtime, bangers started going off at the playground. Bang, bang. Of course, the deputy head came out blowing his whistle and shouting, who did that, right, who did that? You get the cane. Because everyone's just sniggering in the playground. We're just all laughing and sniggering. And what happened was after, what was it, three or four days of fireworks, bangers, only bangers, being let off in the school playground, it was every break time, every lunchtime, bang, bang, going off in the playground. And what the, head, the deputy headmaster did, after lunch, we're all in our classrooms, he came round. Every boy had to empty their pockets. He looked in every desk. Bear in mind, there's 600 kids in the school. He went round to every single class, made every boy turn out their pockets and looked in their desks. He couldn't find one firework. Now, this was the clever bit. Whoever was doing this, I found out a lot later. What they had done, they brought a load of bangers into school and red matches. And they were hidden. And behind the bike sheds was a a very old flint wall with holes in it and ivy all overgrown. And there was a place through the ivy, if you pull the ivy to one side, 
there was like a small cave where the, the flint wall had fallen apart. And in there, this kid had a tin box full of bangers and some red matches. So what he would do at playtime, go and get a banger and one red match, which, you know, you can strike off on the wall or wherever, just strike it on the brick wall. He'd light a banger, discreetly chuck it to one side and boom, you know, off it went. He had no evidence on him, but he had this supply of bangers <laughs> hidden behind the ivy and this brick wall, this flint wall. We reckon that teachers had been commandeered to be used as spies because every playtime there were teachers everywhere. They were watching us, looking, you know, craning then, who is he? What's he doing over there? What's that kid doing there? Where's he going? There were teachers everywhere. Normally they had one, maybe two on sort of, I don't know, playground duty. But it seemed we were swarmed with teachers all over the place. And of course, no one ever saw what was going on. They didn't realise. Someone sneaked behind the bike shed, grab a banger and a red match. Boom! Right in the middle of the playground, under the teachers' noses. And they couldn't find out who had done it, who the culprit was. This went on for, what, two weeks? It all around bonfire night time, 5th of November. And eventually... The police turned up. <laughs> One morning in assembly, there's this copper on the stage and uh, he was not happy. In fact, he did grin a couple of times. We noticed that when he was saying, you, know, you will not bring fireworks into school. If anyone is caught bringing fireworks to school or letting fireworks off, they'll be down the police station. And you could see every now and then a little, he was trying to conceal a grin. He obviously thought it was hilarious. <laughs> but the, the deputy head didn't. The deputy head, actually, he he liked to be in charge, in control. If anyone had done anything wrong, he'd catch the, the culprit and they'd get the cane. I played truant. I got the cane. Every Friday afternoon at two o'clock, it was games. We had to play hockey. Can you imagine? Midwinter, right? You're out on the field in your shorts and little plimsolls and a flimsy top with a hockey stick. The grass... It's frozen solid. It's just ice. It's freezing cold. You know, it's like minus 50 Siberian type winter. And you're doing this bully off thing. Someone smashes your shin with a hockey stick. I'd, I thought, no, 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 no. I'm not doing that. I'm not here. To, I'm going home to play with my radios. I can have a listen on shortwave on the radio. See what I can hear. So every Friday afternoon at two o'clock, everyone went to the changing rooms put on their football kit or hockey gear or whatever it was. What I did, sneak round to the bike shed, wheel my bicycle down the, the driveway and cycle off. A couple of us did it. A mate of mine joined me every Friday. He'd go first or I'd go first. We wouldn't go together. And one Friday afternoon, I was halfway down the drive and I heard this voice. I knew the voice. It was the deputy head. You boy. And I froze. I looked round. Come here. Oh, dear. I had to go back to see him. I couldn't carry on. He would have found out who I was. I went back and he went, where are you going? I said, oh, I, I don't feel very well, sir. I put on this act of being ill. Have you filled in the, uh, what was it, the, the sickness book or something? I said, no, oh, no, I haven't. I've got stomachache. Anyway, he didn't believe any of that nonsense. And I got the cane. He sent me some maths uh, problems, some questions, sat me in this classroom on my own. This was after the cane. And he said, woe betide you. i never forget, woe betide you if you get one of those questions wrong. Well, I couldn't answer any of them. 
This was a Friday. I couldn't answer any of them. So eventually I, I went to find him. I couldn't find him. He was in a meeting and I went home. This was, what, five o'clock? Up past five. I was really late home. I didn't tell my parents what had happened. I just said I'd been playing around, you know, in the woods. And that whole weekend I was worried about being woe betided because I'd got the questions all wrong. Well, I hadn't answered any of them. I, I think I'd answered a couple, which were, they were both incorrect. Anyway, come Monday morning, I went to school. I was petrified and nothing else ever happened. He never spoke to me about it again. That was the end of that. Did I play truant again? Yeah, the following Friday, I, I did the hockey business. The Friday after that, I did the football or whatever other nonsense it was. And then I went back to my... <laughs> to my two o'clock disappearing act. But this time it was different. I didn't walk down the school drive with my bike. Imagine one lone boy with his bicycle. The drive was, oh, I don't know, how, how long was it? 50, 60 yards. It was a long, long driveway. And the headmaster and the deputy head's office, offices looked right down the drive. Their windows actually faced down the drive. So obviously what the chap had done, he just stood up, glanced out of the window and happened to see me, rushed out, you boy. <laughs> there was a new plan. One of the boys in my class said to me, you're daft, you're walking down the driveway. Why don't you do what I do? And I said, well, what's that? Do you have to get out of school? And he said, don't you know where I live? No, I don't know where you live. I wasn't friends with him or anything. I just knew him as one of, you know, one of my classmates type of thing. And he said, I'll show you playtime. Playtime came. <laughs> and again, now round the back of the bike sheds, there's this old flint wall. And he said, come and look in this corner. There was a low wooden fence covered in ivy. And you could stand, there was a kind of, I don't know what it was for, a concrete block. You could stand on this concrete block and look over the fence into the garden. And he said, have a look over the fence. So I did. I said, yeah, what about it? He said, that's my garden. That's where I live. <laughs> I didn't know that. And I said, well, what, so what do you do? You, you bunk off school by nipping over the fence into your garden? He said, yeah, dead easy. He said, the thing to do, leave your bike at my house on a Friday, because it was sports on a Friday afternoon. He said, leave your bike at my place, walk round into school. Then he said, at two o'clock when you want to clear off, just nip over into my garden. You can go around the side alleyway with your bike and go home. <laughs> so I did that. The first Friday came along, two o'clock. That morning, I left the bike around his back garden. Playtime ended at two. So you then all go to your classes or the changing room or whatever. So I'm looking around, everyone's milling about, off they go. I nipped over the fence into his garden, grabbed my bike and off I went. I didn't always go straight home. I met one or two other lads in the park. There was a park near the school and we used to go over there and have a cigarette. <laughs> you know, kind of 13, 14 years old, have a cigarette in the park. Good grief. I don't know. Mind you, have things changed? I, the amount of kids I see walking home from school, or to school even, smoking. They haven't got the message, have they? Isn't that weird? All this, you know, about lung cancer and how bad smoking is and addictive and the rest of it. And yet, no one seems to take any notice. The kids just... I think they, they seem to think they look big. I suppose I did. I thought I looked big. I'm in the park, you know, playing truant, and I'm smoking. Look at me, I'm a man. Yeah, right, I'm 13 or 14 years old, a stupid kid. And I thought I was 
being a man. <laughs> it's funny when you look back, isn't it? And it took me 42 years to give up the cigarettes. Well, not, no, not, I'll rephrase that. I wasn't giving up for 42 years. I stopped smoking after 42 years. It was very, very difficult to stop smoking. But I did it after 42 years. And I have to say, I'm very fortunate. I got away with it lightly. Uh, I know people that have had, was it emphysema and lung cancer? Oh, all sorts of dreadful things because of cigarettes. I got away with it lightly. I'm very, very lucky. Going back to the minor incidents of sabotage, in the science classroom, there weren't desks, there were like benches, big long benches that we sat at. And there was a, a gas pipe with a little gas tap and a power socket for uh, low voltage, things like that, where each boy sat. And what this chap did, he, he, <laughs> I know who he was, I won't mention names, He'd, all the gas taps he turned on before everyone arrived in the classroom. He went round all the benches turning the gas taps on. Now, gas didn't come out because the teacher up the top, he had the, the main controls for the electricity supply to the benches and the gas. There was a main gas tap, which was off. They couldn't leave it on because, uh, you know, our slot would muck about with matches and blow things up. But they were for Bunsen burners on each, each uh, bench. So when we all gathered, the teacher would say, right, all come up the front of the class, gather around, we're going to do an experiment. This chap discreetly turned the main gas tap on. So we're all looking at this experiment and then someone said, oh, I can smell gas. And the teacher's, oh yeah, there's gas, hang on. Okay, right, all leave the classroom, I can smell gas, all leave the class. <laughs> so we all piled out. He didn't, he realised that what had happened, all the little taps were on, the main tap was on. He came out into the corridor, bellowing, I've never heard anyone shout so much. Of course, the deputy head heard this shouting. He came rushing down the corridor with his cane, slapping his leg with his cane. <laughs> What's going on? And anyway, who did it? Right, who did it? This was another minor incident of sabotage, uh, one of many. It was that same winter when someone got into the boiler room I don't know how they did that. Uh, we had you know, the big old radiators in all the classrooms, which weren't that effective, to be honest. Most people were cold in the classrooms. But this lad, whoever he was, he'd found the boiler room. Well, we knew where the boiler room was. He got in there and he turned the heating off. I don't know how he'd done, what he'd done. You know, you've got to be careful in a boiler room. He'd blow the boiler up. <laughs> so we're all you know, in the class and the radiators are stone cold and we're all shivering and complaining. And this was yet another act of a minor act of sabotage. This went on for weeks. In the end, the, the deputy head, he took time off. He took a couple of weeks off and rumour had it that he couldn't cope because he liked to be in charge. He knew, you know, he prided himself on running a tight ship. He knew what was going on. He knew which boys were doing what, you know, he knew who to cane and who to punish. And he totally lost control. And we all reckon that's why he had a couple of weeks off because he'd, uh, he'd <laughs> as someone put it, he got totally unstable and he, he couldn't cope with it anymore. I don't know whether that was true, but the minor incidents of sabotage did, they slowed down then because it was, as I said, it was every day there was something else. There was a minor fire 
in the playground, someone, I don't know what they got, some old books or something, or old exercise books that were no longer wanted out of the dustbin and set fire to them in the playground. Various things like that. It was daily there were these incidents. <laughs> the thing is, although I laugh about it now, I do remember the science master coming up to me after class one day and he said, you're interested in science, aren't you? I said, yeah, electrical, especially electricity, not chemistry. And he said, all I can do is apologise because I'm unable to teach you properly. I didn't know what he meant. I sort of frowned. And he said, I'm unable to teach you properly because all the kids that mess about, they disrupt the class and I'm not able to teach you about electricity. And I know you want to learn. And, you know, after that, that got me thinking. And I thought, yeah, he's right. There are some things that I would like to know about. You know, he'd go on about... Um, I remember one thing in particular. He said he got cross and he was shouting, don't you want to know how to draw lines of carbon across the garden path to set off a bell when someone walks across it? And kids were saying, no, no, I don't want to know, not interested. I did want to know. I was interested. It was some alarm or something that you could do at home, you know, with a battery and a, a bell and a bulb and bits of wire. And I was into all that. But of course, with all the disruption going on, it was difficult to, to learn anything. I think the final straw with him came when we all sat on stools, a four-legged stool, and in the middle of the stool where you sit, there was a, a handle hole, like a hole. You put your fingers in the hole to lift the stool. And all the kids are sitting down. And one kid with his lighter, he got on the floor and he lit the lighter under this kid where he was sitting through this hole in the stool and burnt his trousers and his bum because this kid screamed shot up his trousers have got a hole burned in them and I think that was the last straw because um a science chap he left uh, rumor had it he resigned it I think he just had enough and <laughs> looking back I think I'd have done the same thing I sometimes think it's no wonder that people are useless at spelling and grammar and punctuation the amount of people that say um, for example, I would have gone to the shops, but it was raining. It's I would have gone to the shops. And they say I would of. The amount of people that say that, and they write it as well. I would of gone fishing, but the tide was out. You know, they just haven't got a clue. And apostrophes, good grief. Apples, you've got a load of apples. What they'll do is write apple apostrophe s. Well, it's not. The plural is Apples, no apostrophe at all. People haven't got a clue. The MPs went to lunch. They put MPs with apostrophe S. It's wrong. And of course, the way, especially my generation, the way we were brought up, well, in my school in particular, I suppose it's no wonder that people haven't got a clue because they didn't listen. They were too busy setting fire to things, blowing up toilets, playing truant, smoking, and hanging around the girls' school after school. Oh, that was another thing hanging around the girls' school, which was up the road. It was, what, a quarter of a mile, perhaps half a mile up the road. Not far at all. And most of us cycled home that way, past the girls' school. I'll talk about the girls' school in a minute. Just going back to uh, teaching and kids not listening. I remember one teacher, he got really cross one day. He said, right, no one's listening to me. You're all chatting. I've told you again and again not to keep talking. He said, I am paid to teach. I will stand here at the front of the class and I will do my job to the best of my ability. I will teach. 
If you want to listen, that's fine. That's up to you. If you don't want to listen, if you want to talk, if you want to read comics, look out of the window and ignore me, that's up to you. I am going to do the job I am paid to do. And that's what he did. There's people at the back of the class chatting and looking through comics and mucking about. And he was at the front of the class as if, almost as if the classroom was empty. He just did this robotic type teaching, drew things on the blackboard, diagrams, explained things on the blackboard. Half the class, I must say no more than half, were messing about. The other half were listening. And I remember thinking, I don't want to be a teacher. That I just thought that at the time. I looked at him up there and I felt sorry for him because, as he said, he was paid to do this job. And it, it must have been so difficult. To be fair to the kids at school, I don't think it was all their fault. The art teacher, he used to sit at his desk at the top of the class, the front of the class, and he would smoke. He had an ashtray on his desk and he would smoke. He had a little transistor radio and he listened to Radio Caroline or Radio London, I forget which. He'd listen to the pirate stations while we're doing our artwork. He wasn't particularly interested in us. He'd say, right, OK, all draw a ship or a house. Yeah, we'd have to draw a house or whatever. And we'd paint and stuff like that. And it was all hopeless. He wasn't interested. We weren't interested. All he was doing was watching the clock, ready for time for him to go home. So I don't think the teachers helped. I remember the maths teacher. He, I don't know what his idea was. He said, right, all those not interested in maths who would rather go and sit on the playing field having a cigarette, go and do that now. Of course, half the class walked out. Then he carried on teaching. And for a couple of, two or three perhaps maths lessons, these kids just went and sat on the playing field. But they slowly drifted back. And in the end, the whole class was there. I, I don't know, there was something very wrong with teaching and with... I mean, there was discipline. If you were caught, you got the cane. And uh, kids did get expelled. I don't think children get expelled from school these days, do they? I remember kids getting expelled. I forget what for. Whereas these days, it seems that the, the kids are in charge. If a, te a teacher touches them, they end up in court or they, they're suspended, they get the sack. I mean, the whole thing is ridiculous. Yeah, as I say, I think the discipline at our school was there, but the teaching wasn't good. The geography master, I remember him. I was interested in geography, but he wasn't interested in teaching. That was the trouble. He'd sit there, rest his chin on his hand at his desk, looking at us all. He'd eye us all up one at a time. You'd see him looking at one kid, then he'd look at the next. And the whole lesson was like that. He'd just oh, turn to page so-and-so in your books and read about the produce we buy from South America. So we'd do that while he just sat there looking at us. I think looking back, being a secondary modern school, not a grammar school, they were churning out factory workers. That's what they were doing, the metal workshop, the wood workshop. They were churning out factory workers, not academics. They, weren't, they didn't want us to know about maths and geography, history. They, they went through the motions. They wanted us to learn how to use lathes, how to use tools, how to do woodwork, metalwork. That's what it was all about. The kids that went on to the grammar school, they were the ones that were academic. They were taught not how to use lathes because they weren't going to end up in a factory. They were going to end up, I don't know, as whatever, office jobs, uh, MPs, whatever, civil servants. 
totally different thing. Because even today there's this argument going on still about grammar schools. Should grammar schools be abolished or not? I don't know. Uh, I think I mentioned to you on one of my early podcasts, I failed the 11 plus. I didn't even know we were taking the 11 plus. We went into the English classroom for an English lesson and I thought it was a test. They often gave us tests, which uh, no one really bothered with. And we would just hand around these bits of paper to do this test. And afterwards, out in the playground, someone said that was the 11 plus. Was it? Oh, didn't know that. This was at the primary school before you go on to the the big school, as we called it. This was the primary school. I thought it was just another test. So I, I like most of the other kids, didn't take too much notice of it. Uh, there were quite a few from my class that went on to grammar school. But the majority of us went on to the secondary modern school. I wouldn't have passed the test had I known anyway, so I'm not saying that's why I failed the 11+. plus. I wouldn't have passed it had, <laughs> had I known it was the 11+. plus. I wasn't academic. I just wasn't that way inclined. I wanted to pull radios to bits. I wanted to listen to the shortwave. I wanted to listen to ships and aircraft and army talking to each other. I wanted to learn Morse code. I wasn't interested in uh, what happened in 1066. Mind you, I'm more interested in history now and geography. Uh, Geography, especially because I'm a licensed radio amateur. I talk to people around the world and they'll say, oh, I'm from so-and-so. I like to know where it is. I look it up. I've got a proper atlas, not only the computer. I've got a proper atlas. I open my big atlas and have a look on the map. Oh, that's where he is. Look, I found his country. There's his town. That's where he is. It's interesting. So looking back, I wish I'd, well, I say I wish I'd listened in geography. There was nothing to listen to. This teacher just sitting there staring at us all while we read books. Pretty hopeless waste of time, really. I think the the basic idea of splitting kids up into clever ones and dunce ones like me is probably a good thing because say I'd gone on to the grammar school so I'm sitting in a class of of other kids and they're all pretty academic you know they're pretty clever they can do the maths they're pretty clever and there's me I would hold them back wouldn't I if I keep putting my hand up oh excuse me excuse me I don't understand this I don't understand that I can't do it how do you do this how do you do that and they'd, they'd all be going oh oh what come on they wanted to get on, you know, they'd want to get on and there would be me holding them back. Is that a valid point, do you think, for splitting kids up? I know there there are arguments about, oh, well, you're kids from poorer backgrounds. You know, they don't have access to computers and the rest of it like the well-off kids do. So it's not fair. Well, I don't know. There are there are some kids that were like me that just are not academic. I would have been a waste of time at grammar school. I would have failed the exams. I wouldn't have understood what was going on. Oh, do you know? I was going to say I wouldn't have understood the questions. I don't know whether you ever watch Pointless, do you? With, was it Alexander and uh, Richard? You know, Pointless programme? I don't understand the questions. There's Trish, my wife. She's saying, oh, yeah, yeah, that's the answer to that. And that she's answering all these questions that come up on the board. I'm still reading the questions thinking, what does that mean? I don't understand. And she has <laughs> she has to explain the question to me, not all the time, but very often I say to her, what are they talking about? What's the question? And she'll explain it. 
course, by which time, and she's answered them all anyway. Now, that's exactly what I mean. Had I been at grammar school in a class with people that not only understood the question, but were answering the question straight away, I'd be holding them back. So I don't know. It's a, it's a good subject, that. It's a difficult one. Same with private schools. Now, there's a thing. Here's a thing. A lot of people say, oh, it's not fair. You get the rich kids to go to the private school. Uh, they are at an advantage over the kids that haven't got much money. Their parents can't afford a private school. So the rich kids get a really good education and the poor kids don't. Well, I don't think it's right to say, I really, education should be equal. It should be as good in state schools as it is in the private school. So why isn't it? It's no good, as um, some people say, some MPs say, oh, close the private schools. Don't close the private schools. Make all schools, all the state schools, as good as, if not better than the private schools. Then there'll be no reason to have private schools. You see what I mean? I don't know. I'd have been hopeless. <laughs> I'd have wasted my parents' money. Imagine thousands of pounds a term being spent on my education <laughs> and I don't even understand the question let alone able to answer it <laughs> oh dear total waste of money it would be in my case I was talking to my wife the other day we were talking about you, you get these people that are, are born with a gift you know they're gifted and we were wondering whether there is such a thing or do they learn we were watching on YouTube a three-year-old girl sitting at a grand piano, playing as if she's a concert pianist. Three years old. I mean, did she learn to play like that? Or was she born with some kind of so-called gift? It's weird, isn't it? It's like radios. You know, I can repair, I'm, I've retired now, but I've been repairing the vintage valve radios for decades, building transmitters, all this other stuff, amateur radio stuff. I just... Yes, of course, I've learned a lot of it, but a lot of it I seem to just know. You know, it's like someone will pick up a musical instrument. They just seem to be able to play it straight away. They know. Isn't it strange? Perhaps uh, in a previous life, perhaps I was Marconi. <laughs> I think he was quite a lot cleverer than I would ever be. But it, we were just talking about it. You know, you get these other kids, like a five-year-old, playing a violin. How do they do it? Absolutely fantastic, but especially piano, keyboards, the very young kids, as I say, three years old. You know, they're barely, barely out of nappies. They're barely eating solids. <laughs> and they're playing like a concert pianist. That's strange, isn't it? Is that a gift? Are they born with that? Perhaps her great-great-grandfather was Mozart or Beethoven. And uh, that's where they've got it from. I don't know. Sometimes kids... They'll come from musical parents, you know, both their parents are musicians. And when by the time the kids are in their teens, they're also musicians. But that can't happen in the case of a three-year-old unless the three-year-old watches the parents playing the piano and somehow picks it up that way. But I don't know, come on, at three years old, surely not. I think that works the other way around as well. When I was learning Morse code, I found it fairly easy. It took me three months to get up to exam speed, which I passed. A friend of mine had great difficulty. He failed the exam and he had great difficulty. He just could not grasp the whole concept of Morse code. I know people that have failed their driving test several times, six, seven, eight times. They just cannot do it. They're just not somehow 
natural-born drivers. I remember a friend of mine took his driving test several times, gave up in the end. He said, I just can't do it. His, his palms were wet on the wheel. He would sweat as soon as he got behind the wheel. He was a nervous wreck. He couldn't do it, so he gave up. He said, I'm never going to be able to drive. And uh, he never has. He never has driven. He can't do it. So some people find some things a lot easier than others. So it's interesting, isn't it? But there we are. I expect you're going to sleep now. Why don't you email me? Raise Rants, or one word. Raise Rants at protonmail.com. Look at that blue sky again. Good grief. Do you know, it was minus, what did I say? It was minus four or something this morning. Really cold. But I've just looked out of the window and on the shed down the end of the garden, the, the steam, all the ice, the, uh, the frost is melting and the steam is pouring off the shed. So the sun is slowly getting higher in the sky and it's getting warmer and spring is on the way. <laughs> Excellent. Not far from holiday time, we're off to the Isle of Wight. Uh, when's that? In May or whenever, May, June? I can't remember when. June, I think it is. We're off to the Isle of Wight, so that's nice. Friends of ours have gone off to St Lucia for 10 days or something, so I bet they're nice and warm at the moment. Do you watch um, Death in Paradise? Because that was filmed on Guadeloupe, wasn't it? They call it St Marie, but it's Guadeloupe, the actual island that it's filmed on. And St Lucia is only two or three islands away from there. So, uh, yeah, Death in Paradise. <laughs> it's quite good, that. There we are. I'm not going to go on about TV. Oh, I must just say one thing. Adverts. Have you seen the advert? For the, the gold, you know, it's a net gold that you can put in the garden for the kids to kick the ball into. And they've got a big net around the goal. So if you miss the goal, the ball, rather than have to chase it 50 yards or more because you've missed the goal, there's a net all around the goal opening, the goal mouth. So the ball just bounces back if you miss. It's a great advert, but at the end, there's this voice. I don't know why these TV people do it. There's this chap who says that someone kicks the ball and he says, they think it's gone over, but it hasn't now. Honestly, it's just like that. You must see the advert. You're thinking me. They think it's gone over, but it hasn't now. Oh, good grief. He's supposed to be a kind of football commentator, you know, and it's just not right at all. It's a joke. It destroys the whole advert for me. I don't know. Some of these adverts, some of the things they come out with, absolute rubbish. Oh, I hear Marks and Spencers, uh, they've banned, oh no, they haven't banned, they've changed the name of their Midget Gems. Apparently they sell these little sweets that they called Midget Gems. Well, apparently that's offended people. So they've, <laughs> they've got to change the name of these Midget Gems because it offends people. I don't quite know why, uh, but... <laughs> There we are, that's something else that's, go that's going. I'm, I might have to complain. <laughs> I might have to complain. I'll have to think of something. Look around the shops and think, oh, I don't like that. I'm going to complain and get it changed. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, I don't know. You have to laugh. If you don't, you cry. OK, it's a lovely day out there. Now, here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing. It's a lovely day. Blue sky, sun is shining. And I might go out to the garden and do a few jobs. The frost is gone. I might go out there. I might end the, the episode here because uh, you've probably all gone to sleep anyway. And I'm talking to myself. So email me, raiserants at protonmail.com. Be nice to hear from you. And I do try to answer all emails. So on that note, 
I'm going to go out and brave the cold. I don't know what the temperature is outside, but I do know that it's a very nice day. I, I do start to feel guilty because I don't do any exercise. Do you exercise? I don't. Trish does. She'll go off for a six-mile walk in the morning while I'm sitting here on a chair. And I, I do. I mean, I've worked from home for years. I basically get out of bed. This is what I used to do. Sit at the bench repairing radios, then go back to bed. And I do that every day. And now I get out of bed. I come and talk to you. I sit the other side of the room, talk to people on my radios, the amateur radio gear, have dinner and then go to bed. <laughs> so I really must get some exercise in. So I'm going to go now a little bit short. Where are we? Three quarters of an hour. That's probably enough, isn't it? Now, listen, take care. I don't know what lockdown's doing. Uh, we've got very... What have we got in the news? Oh, we've got a, about 100 parties at Downing Street during the lockdown. Every day there's new parties. Oh, they had another party. They had a booze up. Hang on, they've done this, they've done that. Every day someone seems to be leaking or, or dripping information, drip, 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 about another party or something else that Boris has done or someone else did. It's, I, I, honestly, I've got fed up with it now. I don't watch the news. It's just going on and on and on. And we've now got something about a Chinese spy. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to go in the garden and have a look at our rabbits and uh, perhaps sit by the pond with a cup of coffee. Thanks for listening. Take care. And I shall see you on Wednesday for the midweek message. Bye bye for now.